0: My guest now is Lisa Graves. As I mentioned earlier in the interview or in the introduction to her, she is Executive Director of the Center for Media and Democracy, the publisher of PR Watch and Source Watch in Bankster, USA. She previously served as a senior advisor in all three branches of our federal government. As a leading strategist on civil liberties advocacy and as an adjunct law professor at one of the top law schools in the country. And her former leadership posts include a deputy assistant attorney general at the U.S. State Department, or the U.S. Department of Justice, and chief counsel for nominations for the U.S. Senate Judiciary Committee and senior legislative strategist for the American Civil Liberties Union. And it's nice to have you with us today.
1: Thanks, Gary. Thanks for having us on.
0: I'd like to start with a, just an overview, and then, if you could, lead us from that uh, that overview into the specifics of what we're going to talk about the American Legislative Exchange Council, uh, or Alex, and what it means. Here's my overview. It's really simple. The American public believes that virtually all of our laws at the state and local level and regulations are written after careful and measured input by uh, people who are trying to serve the community, the people who voted them, to see what would be the impact upon them and try to have the best possible impact. If it's a if it's a health issue, safety first on behalf of the public. And risk uh, would is always risk-benefit ratio. But historically, it has been, gee whiz, with DDT, it took us years to get rid of DDT. So, Who was benefiting? So the public is under that impression. But when I look at this, I'm seeing lobbyists from virtually every major group imaginable meeting with legislators or legislative aides and then influencing legislation so much so that in one particular bill I can talk with some certainty on because I did a whole documentary, I am doing a whole documentary on it, the Medicare uh, bill. Medicaid, excuse me, Medicare bill that the pharmaceutical industry wrote almost all of that, including provisions that would not allow any governmental agency to get a lower generic drug. In other words, if there was a drug that a person got in a hospital under Medicaid or Medicare or the VA for $50 for a month's supply, they made sure that you weren't able to get it for $2 for a month supply, the same identical drug. And... The legislators were not given advanced copies of this. The 1,300 page was given to them that morning, and they voted on it in the next morning. And the people who pushed that immediately left and went to work for uh, for the Pharmaceutical Advertising Council and other places. So that my larger question is, how much of the laws that are written and rules that are taken away or put in place really come from the legislator... Thinking well about what is in best interest of the public, or how much that comes from special interest group working quietly behind the scenes and their facilitators to see that their way gets done. That's our. That's where I'd like for you to take it, if you would, please.
1: Sure, Gary. So, you know, I think that um, I think that uh, uh, just to take a, off on a point that you mentioned, um, I think most Americans, uh, whatever their political background. Uh, is most Americans understand that corporations have far too much influence in our policy that they have uh too much power that they their money is having a, a tremendous effect distorting our public policy and uh we've seen a, a lot of uh surveys of the public that recognize this and yet that doesn't always translate to how they vote uh in terms of the elections and that's in part because it is the case that uh, the corporations spread the money around uh, to um, both parties. uh, And as elections have become more expensive uh, with, you know, this focus on advertising and TV advertising, um, it has fueled sort of an arms race in essence in raising money and raising money from corporations. Um, So there's a, so the reality is that, um, even before last year's decision by the U.S. Supreme Court on the Citizens United case, which uh, basically said that corporations have a First Amendment right, just like people, to spend unlimited money in our elections, influencing our elections, um, that they have a free speech right to do so. even before that terrible activist right-wing decision, the fact uh, that I think many recognize is that, uh, corporate money has corrupted our political process here in the U.S. And, but it, but it hasn't sort of corrupted it equally, I suppose, despite the fact that the money, uh, is spread around to both major political parties. Um, what we've seen is, uh, certainly this spring in legislators, legislatures across the country where there's been one party rule, um, that, that, uh, Money from some of the most sort of extreme anti-regulatory corporations um, has had a tremendous impact on rewriting our laws. And in particular, uh, what we have seen, what we have uncovered through uh, documents that we obtained from a whistleblower, what we've uncovered is that there is a, um enormous effort on the part of corporations, uh, certain corporations. Uh, And industries to rewrite our laws usually aided and abetted by Republican legislators Um, there's an organization that you mentioned called the American Legislative Exchange Council Um, exchange (laughs) might be exactly the right word for what they do Um, like the stock exchange Um, they put together in essence marry legislators and corporations Uh, they put them on task forces on each of the areas, major areas of law, including health law, as you, as you mentioned. And these corporations and legislators, primarily Republicans, the leadership of ALEC is 103 uh, Republican legislators and one Democratic legislator on their board, their task forces, and their state chairmanships. Uh, and these legislators uh, vote um, as equals, as equals with corporations, on what they describe as model bills, which is, which are bills uh, that then these uh, legislators, after these bills are approved by Alec, um, these legislators go back to the state houses across the country and introduce them without any reference to the American Legislative Exchange Council, with any without any notice to the public that these bills were already pre-approved, pre-cooked, pre-ratified, pre-voted on by corporations, and um, some people have dismissed this revelation as basically business as usual, Um, but I don't think it's business as usual, and it certainly shouldn't be policymaking as usual, and I think the American people have a right to know if corporations are voting on, voting on bills with legislators as if they are equal to them in our sort of process, secretly behind closed doors, and then these legislators launder these bills, uh, introduce them as their own ideas in our state legislators, uh, these bills, these cookie-cutter bills, and uh, try to radically change our laws without telling people what's been going on.
0: I appreciate that overview. L- let me read from the spin. Alec Expose, news and anal- analysis from the Center for Media and Democracy. Quote, the American Legislative Exchange Council, Alec, is a secretive and influential group that facilitates a synergistic alliance between many of the most powerful corporations in the world and state legislators. Through ALEC task forces, corporations and politicians vote behind closed doors to approve model bills that you were just talking about and resolutions that are then ratified by ALEC's Board of Politicians. Elected officials then try to pass these bills and resolutions in state houses across the country without disclosing to the people they represent the role of corporations and what they played in pre-approving such efforts to rewrite our laws through ALEC. And then it goes into how each one of these, like the Koch connection, and then bills in Wisconsin. So what we're seeing, and, and by the way, I'll tell you why I think this is very important, because... Uh, Two years ago in New York State, I was told with just 24 hours before there was to be a complete um, vote, and the government already of New York's uh, David Patterson said he would sign it, that every person in the state of New York who was in health care would have to receive four vaccines, all of which contained thimerosal, the uh, ethyl mercury. Uh, that would be 56,000 nurses, orderlies, physicians, um, anyone who works in a nursing home, sis living center, or hospital. Um, and when I heard about this, I'm, since I support freedom of choice, we rallied 1,600 nurses, doctors, and activists from this audience. We took a bus caravan, all within all within just one day. To uh, Albany, we had about 100 placards out there. Uh, Fox and uh, Bloomberg covered it. We had a chance to meet with the three doctors from the state, the highest-ranking doctors. And I asked them, uh, uh, I said, how is it that you had no hearings on this? The hearings were to follow the bill. I had never heard of this before. You pass a law, then you have hearings on the law? That made no sense to me. And I said, how is it that that um, that you have not divulged who came to you, which vaccine manufacturers, which of their lobbyists, which of uh, the, um, uh, the pharmaceutical industry reps came and told you why this would be a good thing. We should know that. And you could just see they were just completely uh, flustered by this. So while this was going on, I had a uh, a person dressed up like a lawyer go through every member of the uh, state assembly in um, uh, in Albany and give out a copy of a 110 page document we had made up the day before showing why the mercury at 24 micrograms per shot or hundred micrograms could do serious damage to a person's brain and why they, it should be voluntary, not mandatory for healthcare workers. In any case, uh, they finally got around to holding hearings. We had 225,000 people call and protest this and we won the day at, One point, a legislator came forward and said to me, and said, just thought you'd know, there's been an enormous amount of pressure up here by special interest groups who are saying that, you know, you've got to get this passed. It's got to be done. It'll save lives. And nobody was here to challenge it. They had no no one offering a counterbalancing opinion. And I said, how often this goes on? He just laughed at me. He says, with every single piece of legislation we put through, he said, this legislation doesn't originate with us. It originates with a special interest group. He said, I hope someone exposes this at some point. He said, I'm embarrassed by how corrupt our system is become this is one of the new york state legislators telling me this your thoughts on this place well
1: i I think that it's it is a sad uh it is a sad but true remark about how um, legislation is done in this day and age and um, quite frankly the american people who uh, are sort of busy desperately trying to save their jobs trying to save their homes uh, and keep food on the table and uh, pay their bills um, don't have um, unlimited time to spend uh, keeping an eye on their legislatures, uh, keeping an eye on these legislators and watching every bill that gets introduced. Um, we, in a representative democracy, we count on the people that we, the people, elect to actually represent us. You know, corporations uh, can't actually vote in our elections um, because the right to vote is a, is a sacred right of people. It's a right that the American people fought to have, uh, fought the War of Independence with England, to have a right to vote. That right to vote uh, was uh, expanded, uh, fortunately, over time to enfranchise men and women, to enfranchise people of, of all races who were born here and um that right that sacred right of human beings has uh, really been eroded and corrupted through this process so while you vote uh for your representative to go to your state house or uh congress to represent you uh, and whether the person is from your party or not you're still in essence counting on them representing the people in your home state and in fact these legislators get to the state houses, and it turns out that the people they spend most of their time with are corporate lobbyists, corporations who don't have a right to vote because they're not people. They don't have a sacred sort of human freedom to vote, but they have tons of money to spend on lobbyists and tons of money to spend on campaign donations and PACs, uh, political action committees, and on uh, preparing preparing. Model bills or legislation for legislators um, to introduce the, the idea that the idea that legislators would pass something and then have a hearing about it is really rather extraordinary. But I'm not sure it's more extraordinary than basically pre-approving legislation and then sort of having the the kabuki theater of of it being subject to um, full consideration. I'm not sure how the people can weigh uh, a bill that's introduced as if it is the idea of that legislator when, in fact, that that legislator perhaps voted on it behind closed doors already, side by side with corporations voting on it behind closed doors without any disclosure of that activity at all. Could, I'm not sure how the American give... people could have any insider tra- – you know, there's no transparency to that, and I think that's a fundamentally corrupting act.
0: Could you give us, please, uh, some of the most egregious examples of what they've done with their so-called uh, model bills and that we were not aware of? And also, could you explain the shock doctrine policies of Alec, uh, the, and, and uh, frequently sponsored by the Koch brothers and their enormous fortune – To push these things through?
1: Well I I would say (laughs) those questions are pretty enormous questions but let me take the second part first which is to say uh, Nomi Klein wrote a a tremendous book uh, called The Shock Doctrine which really uh, explains it has deep deep insights into what's been happening in our economy and um, the sort of spoils system uh that has come out of this crisis. So um her, her book I would commend uh to your listeners um to read fully. But let me just uh sort of give an example here in Wisconsin where the center is located, the Center for Media and Democracy and um as 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 in Wisconsin as with many states um we We've lost an enormous number of manufacturing jobs due to these free trade policies, so-called free trade policies that have been pushed by global corporations, and they've been pushed by politicians of both parties. But you might recall, and some of your listeners might recall, that in the 80s, it actually wasn't uh, uh, popular. It wasn't popular to be pushing free trade. Um, we had uh, what were described as protectionist policies to protect our industries, because uh, Working people, people, uh, from both sides of the aisle, at least some number, knew that there's no way for the American worker to compete with, um, you know, virtually slave labor, uh, wages of a developing nation or third world country or a country like China. Um, the idea that the American worker is supposed to be, uh, like, uh, competitive in Competitive with uh, countries that have much lower standards of living um, and uh, and and don't pay their workers, you know, very much at all. You know, it's really it's an astonishingly wrong-headed concept. The fact is that, you know, many countries have a long-standing history of protecting their workers. But to go back to Wisconsin, we've lost an enormous number of manufacturing jobs uh, that have been shipped overseas. Uh, These corporations. Invested in politicians to push these free trade policies, and um, and we've lost those jobs. And then on top of it, uh, we had this incredible deregulation push, starting with Reagan, uh, pushed by the Koch brothers. So um, David Koch's uh, organization that he uh, helped found in the 1980s, a group called the Citizens for a Sound Economy, uh, took the stock market shock in 1987 as license. To push not for regulation of stock market and stock trading, but to push for the repeal of Glass-Steagall protections, which were the, the you know hard line protections against banks engaging in uh, gambling in Wall Street securities. They took a couple, of- <laughs> and they did, and then our you know ultimately our economy crashed on the on uh, the in the wake of extraordinary gambling by the banks and by Goldman Sachs and by Wall Street. And so there's no there's no surprise here that uh, we have revenue we have a revenue crisis. Uh we have fewer um fewer Americans working in Wisconsin and elsewhere. We have fewer American companies uh employing people here in part because of the free trade policies. We have, um, uh, you know, we have a a, a sort of an overall crisis, in part by the incredible spending on wars by Bush, without increasing taxes to cover those wars, and so the states have uh, states have some deficits. They've got some deficits. So, you know, instead of actually dealing with those deficits by ensuring that corporations pay their fair share corporations that are in the state that are you know putting profits overseas or banking profits in in uh, in a, in a low, uh, low tax state like Nevada uh, instead of making sure that corporations that are here um, uh, pay their fair share and actually banding together with other states to ensure that all the states to the extent possible stand together and ensure that corporations pay their fair share instead we have a race to the bottom and in a crisis like this where there are some shortfalls in revenue rather than have a reasonable dialogue about, you know, how much an ordinary person pays in taxes versus a corporation, instead we have these vultures uh come into office who use this crisis as a way to basically destroy the public school system, uh cut funding for schools, cut funding for teachers, cut funding for uh social services, cut funding for people who are disabled. Um, you know, the idea that we can't even pay what a person, you know, pay back to a person what they have invested in Social Security, and Social Security payments are very small. You can't, uh, you can barely uh, maintain uh, a household uh, on them if that, uh, they're exceedingly low. The idea that you can't pay uh, a, a basically poverty level amount of retirement pension through Social Security because you can't tax corporations is a, is a is a product of this uh, perverse ideology that has taken hold that ideology is one that is is uh, manifest throughout these Alec bills it's one that basically privileges corporate profits over the people's interests it uh, elevates greed to the highest value and it and it suggests a um, sort of an economic solution that we've seen repeated on right-wing talk radio. We've seen it repeated in halls of Congress by leaders like John Boehner and Eric Cantor and other ALEC alums that only rich people create jobs uh, when, in fact, you know, demand creates jobs. Uh, What creates demand? American workers having money in their pockets. And uh, we've seen, whether it's Carly Fiorino at Hewlett Packard shipping jobs overseas and pocketing huge CEO and benefits, Those, that money isn't reinvested in American jobs. It's, it's invested in people's private stock portfolios to make them richer while Americans lose their jobs.
0: I really appreciate all that you and your organization are doing. Hopefully people will pay more attention to realize who's really writing the rules behind the scenes with their politicians. and they can go to prwatch.org and to get up on all of this and read the articles I've been reading. Thank you very much for being on with us today.
1: Oh, Gary, thank you so much. Alec exposed and, uh is, .org is the main site where the bills are, and uh, we do have summaries of the top, uh, major, most outrageous bills that people can take a look at.